The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our podcasters. It is exciting what is happening in regard to our new series that we started on the True Grace. There's a difference between the world's view or even the church's world of view of grace versus what we are finding in the original text of understanding what grace is. And there are many translations that are out there today that have used the term grace in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard of the term used coming before the grace seat of God? What about coming before the mercy seat of God? The seat of the living God all means mercy. Does not mean grace. Mercy is to pardon you from the law, the consequences of the law. Grace does not do that. So there is good reason why we should be talking about the content of grace. For our listeners, this is number 98 in our Identity for Eternity series. The title of today is Content of Grace. We are literally going to be talking about grace made alive through the personhood of Jesus Christ. Without, stay with me on this, without the personhood of Jesus Christ, grace would not exist. Not in heaven or not on the earth. Grace exists because Jesus exists. Okay? So before we get in and actually talk about that, I'd like to have someone come and read our scripture for today. Romans chapter 11, verses 4 through 11. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given him the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Our word for the day has turned into a word for the month, maybe a couple months. The word is grace, of course, and if you want to try to remember what grace truly stands for, outside of being the life of Jesus Christ, is God's redemption. God is the Father. He is the Father of all. He's the living God who has a Son. So it's God's redemption at Christ's expense. It's a payment. The law requires payment. God is the law. The law is the character of God. If I was to put one of you up here on the love seat and all of us were to take some time to describe you, the people in this room that would try to describe you by using characteristics that are not true characteristics but expressions of character, you would have no clue what I'm talking about. But those of you who would begin to describe you sitting up here with character qualities, you would understand what I am about to preach on today. You see, the law is a description of God's character. 
qualities. And I don't know if you've ever tried to calculate the number of rules and regulations as the world views it, but the laws that are required of us from Genesis to the last chapter in the book of Revelation, but most say there's over 700 laws depicting the character of God. So when you stand before Jesus face to face, you will see fulfilled character of God in a human. Should I say it again? When you stand before Jesus Christ personally, you will see the character of God fulfilled in a human. So what does that hopefully create in your minds? For me, it took me all the way back to the garden. I'll speak more of this later in the message. But see, in the garden, when God created all of the housing first, secondly, he created Adam and Eve and put them in his house. Please stay with me on this. You're going to have to listen very carefully because I'm unfolding some very thick theological things today that oftentimes does require someone to listen once or twice to a message. I can't even begin to tell you the hours that have been poured over this message. Now this is very important for you to understand. The earth and all of creation was created underneath the feet and presence of who? Okay, rewind just a second. Okay, we, re we rewound a little bit. We're in heaven. You with me, Evan? We are in heaven. And God is sitting on his throne. And Lucifer, which sounds like an evil name. There is nothing evil about that name. It means preserver of light. Angel of light. Angel means preserver, guardian. And Lucifer, the angel of light, is taking his wings, and God only knows how big those were. And his wings were covering the throne of God. Because the first one to see the face of God, someone tell me the answer to that question from the New Testament, is Jesus. And here he is with his wings covering, I believe he was face to face with God. And he decides he wants the chair. He wants God to get up out of that chair. God the Father, God who is the law, the laws of the universe. And he wants him to get up out of that chair, that, that holy chair, that throne. Get up, go on. Can you imagine the devil sitting in God's chair? No. It's not going to happen. He was removed from heaven like a quote-unquote bolt of lightning. And where did God put him? On a formless planet before it was called Earth. That'd be like sticking Satan on Pluto, on Mars. Pick a planet. It doesn't matter. Jupiter. Jupiter. And here he is on this formless planet. There's no moisture. Excuse me, there's no water. There's, there's no air to breathe. There's no atmosphere. There's no protection around the planet. There, this thing is just this formless planet. And he's roaming all over this planet with God only knows how many demons and finding nothing to point his evil toward. So God picks that planet 
that formless planet. So whatever it is that God called this, this, this marble in the sky that looked like the moon, God builds his temple around evil. Literally, while the footprints used to be on that formless planet, God is creating this beautiful temple. And who does he put in his temple? He puts Adam and Eve in a perfect state. Not only does he create this beautiful temple for Adam and Eve to live and dwell in as a Old Testament warning what's coming for indwelt believers, that he's literally going to create us as a temple in an evil world, which is where we are today. Are you with me? Nothing in God's creation does not connect to salvation. Nothing. Every tree, every grape, every molecule of light, everything is connected to salvation. The gateway. The only gateway to the other side is through Jesus Christ. So there you have it. A temple. Perfect, beautiful. There are those who believe before the fall, the earth was the exact replica of the new earth that's coming. And to that I say, bad theology. There's no devil on the new earth. There's no evil of any kind on the new earth. There was no formless planet that it started on. This is a brand new, brand new earth that is being created by our husband. You remember the scripture talks about that I must go away and prepare a place for you. This is the place. This is the room off of God's master mansion. This new earth that's being created is our new dwelling place for eternity. There is not one speck of evil on it. And he wanted to show us in creation that he was going to create a temple literally under the feet of Satan. Not only that, he puts Satan's little tree of knowledge. i got to think this through myself. In the center of this garden that's on this planet. There's no accident in that. So as you get up tomorrow morning and you go out into a very evil world because of the fall of Adam and Eve, understand this. He transferred that temple from creation to indwelling life. His new creation of that, that earth that went bad awaits you. So you environmentalists, I hope you get this. Why are you trying to revisionize, recreate, or restorate Satan's domain that shall burn in eternity forever? Why are you wasting your time on that? I say be good stewards, pick up the trash and throw it into the trash bin. I say build sewer systems if you can so you're not having your, your waste go into the street. God has given us common sense. He's given us understanding on ways that we can be creative in his creation to take care of ourselves a little better. But the world's going to hell in a handbasket. If you want this new revised world, you're probably going to have to go through the gateway of the eye of the tree of life. When we talk about the temple that Jesus needs to live with us after the us is joined together as one again. So as Jesus came unto his Father at the ascension, a new kind of temple was needed. Jesus knew this earth that he was walking around on was going to produce death as he was walking on it. He knew it. He knew that the entire beautiful 
earth that was created did not have one ounce of dying death upon it. Every direction you would go, no matter how many miles you would travel, you would find an absolutely gorgeous garden. Lush, green, everywhere you'd go, all the way around the earth. So he knew, I mean, he was there assisting in the creation. So he knew a new temple was needed or he could not come back in the form of the representation of the Holy Spirit. Couldn't do it. So when the veil was actually ripped, as someone was praying earlier, Jesus is the veil. And that's exactly what the scriptures say. And that veil was ripped. So Jesus would, would have to be ripped. The expense was he would have to be ripped in order for us to enter into the room of law. To stand before the Bema seat and receive mercy. It had to be through Jesus Christ. To refer to the content of grace can be misleading. Grace is not an independent thing that has content or can be separately defined by its content or substance. That would be like taking this chair and asking someone to describe this chair. Now, the theology behind that would be this. A person sitting in the chair. And then I ask someone out there for someone to please describe what they see. And what they're describing is the chair. They're spending all their time talking about the chair and they're missing the person in the chair. That's what we're talking about. Satan has completely revisionized the entire beliefs of grace to be describing a substance. This substance has action. Chair goes up, chair goes down, chair swivels. And we've done a refined job of describing the actions of this chair. <laughs> what about who's sitting in it? The reason why this is such a dualistic thought in many people's minds is it's easier for them to describe things they see. Because stay with me, young people. Jesus Christ is sitting in this chair, but you can't see him. So what do you do as a humanoid? You look and you describe the chair because Jesus is not to be seen with your human eyes. Jesus can only be experienced by sight through perfect eyes. And if you do not believe in that, you do not understand the reasoning for Jesus keeping himself away from this earth. But we get to see him through our spiritual eyes the living life of Christ from within. The Holy Spirit has perfect eyes. The Holy Spirit gets to look upon Jesus because the Holy Spirit has perfect eyes. There's no evil particles anywhere in the Holy Spirit. So when we go to heaven, we get a brand new body, and in that brand new body, you have perfect sight. You will get to look upon Jesus Christ, but in his perfect body. Your perfect body. Perfection on perfection. But until then, Jesus is setting. He is present. He's setting in this chair. And then if the preacher, teacher, pastor, shepherd is asking the people to please describe grace. The preacher knows his name is grace. He is the favor of God. They just talk about the chair. Because that's what they see with their human eyes. The tree of knowledge is the tree of knowledge because it is of knowledge, of self-interpretation, understanding of what they can't see. Satan knows this. It's all about the chair for, for Satan. He wants this chair. And it is driving him all the way to the last breath of the final battle. He wants this chair. 
He is angry. He is upset. He wants that chair. So he has created this illusion for humanoids today to talk endlessly about the chair, the content of the chair. Well, it's beautiful. It's leather. It's not holding. But it swivels. It goes up and down. But he doesn't want us talking about the person in the chair. And the reason would be, duh, the living God sits in that chair. Nor is grace a vessel that contains or is filled with the contents of something like a container. I was going to actually put a couple containers up here today and do a word picture for you. But you see, if I talk about the cup that Jesus' blood was in, what good is that in experiencing the power of the blood? Zilcho, nothing. You spend all your time talking about the cup. In fact, did you, did you guys realize that there is this endless search for this cup? Do you realize there's been offers of millions of dollars if someone finds this cup? There are people ready to spend their entire fortune on buying this cup. The Catholic Church has been doing it since Jesus Christ took a sip from it. It's not the cup. It's what's in the cup. So you want to talk about contents. There's life in the blood. Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood and life. It's all the same thing. It is the life of Christ being represented in that cup. Not spending the next 2,000 years talking about the cup. So if you want to truly talk about contents within the cup, it would be the life of Christ. The indwell believer's use of the phrase content of grace is simply to explain all that is contained in the expression of the Father's divine actions, the Father's divine actions of mercy through the personhood of His Son, i.e. the final work of the very essence of the triune of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They know there is one thing that has to be accomplished. Just one. And see, that one single-minded goal and objective is the only thing Satan's focused on. The chair. The throne of God. He wants that chair. You see, when they rebuild the temple for the third time, they're putting a chair in it. Did you know that? I have the actual architectural plans that were accepted by the Orthodox priests for this new temple. There's a throne room. And in this throne room is a chair. And guess who is planning to sit in that thing? The Antichrist. Of course, it's right out of the book of Revelation. It's all about the chair, believe me. So the deception itself is going to be focused around content or object or substance. So the content of grace is the essential activity of God the Father, the identity of God the Son, and the content is the Holy Spirit. Theologically, listeners, it doesn't get any deeper than that. Now I know some people are just blowing this off. Some people are saying, I don't understand it. I don't know what that guy's talking about. If you don't, I would question my salvation today. Now, if you just aren't quite sure, but somehow that truth is bearing witness with you, it's evidence you are saved. But I want you to connect the dots of what we've covered today. The cup. The seat. The cup on the seat, as Malami learned, the fourth cup. We are the third cup. The content of the cup is in us. And that content 
is the Holy Spirit. That thus makes the term grace alive, breathing, and living inside the cup. And if we spend our theological usefulness on analyzing the cup with babbling psychology, babbling physiology, babbling sociology, I am mentioning the six areas of study in universities on defining the cup. Do you understand that they are so smart in regards to the physiology of this cup that they can break it down to the point of saying the molecules refuse to touch each other? That's amazing to me. The reason why Jesus was able to walk through doors and walk on water is because he understood the theology rises above physiology, physics. That's how smart we can get about the cup. Literally prove why Jesus walked through walls. But you see, the content of grace is in the cup, is literally the Holy Spirit. 602-292-2982. If this doesn't rock your world, I would really like to talk to you. There is nothing richer, deeper than the theology of the Holy Spirit being grace inside your cup, your mortal body. And you want to talk about the fourth cup? We're going to have a special sermon on that here real soon. Because the content of the fourth cup is very different. So the third cup, do this in remembrance of me. Jack the Journey has to drink from this cup every day. Do you understand that Jack drinking from that cup every day, the fruit of the Lion of Judah, he is accepting his mission of dying daily. That's what the third cup is for. The fourth cup is very different. The point being made here is in strengthening of true theology of the expression, expressed activity, and the work of God the Father. So when we have to cease from our works, Christ could not cease from his works. Are you with me? Can you imagine if we served a Jesus who ceased from his works? You'd go to hell. There'd be no gateway. We'd have to join the CERN people in Switzerland. Pour time, money, and effort in and trying to get that gate to stay open long enough so we can all get through it. You'd go to hell. But that is not the case. Jesus did do his work. And then when his father came upon him and explained exactly how far that work was going to have to be carried out, he was resisting his will against his father's will, he started to sweat blood. Coming to the conclusion of going, and I think if I remember correctly, Jesus said, if you're asking me to drink from, okay, I'll die. That's all that cup was. The final work of the cross. So when you are to drink from that cup, and do this in remembrance of me, you are supposed to be drinking from this cup to say every single day, I die today, you live. But no, what we do is we set up special services of communion in our churches and we press around the cup like it's some kind of sacrament that's going to make us holy. There's nothing holy about your communion. There's nothing holy or sacrificial about you passing the cup on Sunday morning, Saturday night or Wednesday night or whenever it is you're doing. There's nothing holy about it. True holiness is in drinking from the cup of death daily. You're releasing the Holy One through you to fulfill the cup. But we are to do these special little services or pieces of our services to remind us of this. 
There's nothing holy in the action. Are you with me, guys? We have set sacraments up into the church to think that there is holiness in that action. There's no holiness in action. There's only holiness in what's in the cup. Indwelling life of Jesus Christ. 602-292-2982. Grace is beyond being an instrument. So what if grace was only an instrument? I'll tell you what would happen. Grace must not be conceived as an impersonal force or power, nor as a mechanical principle. Grace is not a spiritual benefit that can exist independently or be given as a gift to another, as Isaiah 42.8 tells us, and 48.11. This gift must come to us through the very life of Jesus Christ to mankind. Grace is not a separate object or spiritual blessing which can be dispensed. And this is where we got into passing the cup. It's dispensed. Grace is passed. So what the church has done is made a real big deal about communion. Oh, certain people can't take it. Certain people, you know, the proof of your salvation isn't there yet, so you can... And there there are all these rules got packed around dispensing grace. They're called sacraments. Bummer. Really is. So grace is not a separate object or spiritual blessing which can be dispensed by God and received by, possessed by, and or utilized by Christ's followers or indwelled believers. It is what it is. There's nothing I can do to add to the fact that this liquid is in this cup. I can pray on it. I can demand it. I can fake it. I can do all kinds of stuff. But the fact is, the cup has already been filled. Thus, the command. Drink it, Stephen, because my goal is to have that cuppeth runneth overeth. Drink it. The more that you drink it and hand it on to others in respects of an outpouring, the more I put back into the cup. My cup runneth overeth. Oh, dear God, why do you have such a thing about cups? Grace is not permissible to be used by humans in any fashion. Grace is not a self-existent energy that can dwell within man causing him to be like God or to some extent make it a holy action. Grace is not a system of theological explanation to be labored as a particular theory or principle. Well, Finney, that's your interpretation of grace. You know, either this is living water in here or it's not. That's the only question I would have. Grace is an essential belief of the actions of God through the representation of his Son. And this is done by the Creator God acting on behalf of man through his Son. Thus, grace involves a pure representation of the identity of God, which is, and in Jesus, and then placed within his bride by putting himself in her. The reason why that you are given the opportunity and the privilege to stand in the presence of God physically someday is because you've been purified and redeemed and made perfect. Perfection cannot be attained by works, at least mine. It has to be obtained by someone else's works, someone that probably could actually fulfill the law, the character of God. Then maybe, not then maybe, that is your access point to stand in the presence of Jesus Christ and God someday. God alone is self-existent, self-sufficient, autonomous and independent. He is absolutely free to function as who he is, consistent with his character. His prime function is his own divine activity. 
There's certain phrases that God puts in my head. I'm going like, well, what, what did you say? And I gotta, I gotta read it again, and then read it again, and read it again, and ask the living God to be granted understanding through the Holy Spirit because they're too much for my mind to understand. This was one of them. His prime function is his own divine activity. This active self-expression of himself within his son becomes the essence and identity of Jesus Christ. God actually functioning as God in Christ becomes Christ's identity. So identity in Christ, the exchange life beliefs and concepts and theology become a little bit important. So I can talk all day long, if you haven't noticed, about the identity of living water. There is no sermon that can be preached out of this mouth that I cannot attach it to the identity of living water. There's nothing in creation I read about that has been created that cannot be attached to talking about the identity of the living water in this cup that once was red as blood. Everything comes back to identity. Jesus learned that the hard way. In his son's bride, the action portion of grace is the movement and working of the Holy Spirit. It's another mind twister. Favor is very personal. Man was created by God as the embodiment of his creation to express his character in freely chosen behavior. God does want to see his character walked out as behavior. It's important to him. So Adam and Eve walking around this perfect world, they were literally walking out, as they say, the character of God. Since character of God is the law, Adam and Eve were walking around and not one split second... Please, gracialistic people, listen very carefully. Not one split second was Adam and Eve walking around thinking about the law. There were not thousands of laws attached to grapevines and apple trees and... No. Just live. So they lived and enjoyed life because they were the product of the functioning activity of God's law. That's what they were. And Satan goes, this has to change. I want the law to beat them down. I want the law to kill them. I want the law to destroy them. I want the law to do what I have had done to me. That's what he wanted. He wanted the personhood who was sitting in that chair to do the same thing to those humanoids that God did to him. Why? Because God won't leave that chair ever. Ever will he get up and take a walk. He will not leave his throne. Not even for Jesus. That throne, that chair is so important for eternity that all the activity around it is done through Jesus Christ, the Bride of Christ, and all of His creation. That's where the activity is. Original man before the fall was intended to function as the extension of the Father's deity within humanity. After the fall, man became an extended tool to function of the Father of lies. You see, Satan understood function. Function comes with fatherhood. So Satan needed to change the regime a little bit and get these people to switch daddies. That's all he had to do. Because children will carry out the identity of their fathers. It's a basic principle of creationism. Adam and Eve before the fall were carrying out the function of their daddy. After the fall, 
Adam and Eve were carrying out the function of their daddy, Satan, the father of lies. When the presence of God is restored to man by the life of grace in Jesus Christ, our lives become an expression of the Father's mercy and his Son's demonstration of being grace, the unmerited favor of his Father, which is the Greek definition of grace, unmerited favor. Well, he was the unmerited favor of his Father because he had to fulfill the law. Thus fulfilling the law, he actually fulfilled the name of grace. No more work on our part. Grace can never be detached from the personal presence of the Holy Spirit and action, which is mercy of God in Christ, who is the outward pouring of God's favor. So the simplicity of this listener is pretty simple. The presence of God is the Holy Spirit. The action of God is mercy. We literally have Christ living inside of us. So therefore we have the presence of God inside of us. And we have the mercy seat being represented in us. So for you non-believer to grant mercy on someone or even to grace them is demonic doctrine doesn't exist in you. Favor, grace, is personal and it demands intimacy. Since man was detached from the triune of God in the garden, favor and intimacy could not be something to be obtained by man or demons. The Father provided a way to reattach himself to mankind by paying the price Satan demanded. Life on life, life for a life. That life, of course, was literally the life of God's own son, his only child, Jesus Christ. You see, Satan knew enough about God, he hung around him long enough to know that the law always requires a price, if broken. You see, he broke the character of God, the law of God, by tempting God in his character. He was removed from heaven like a bolt of lightning put on this formless planet. There was a price for Satan looking at the Father and saying, I want your job. That's like a young person today looking at their father going, and you think I'm going to honor you? That's what it's like. The lack of honor is the visual picture of hell. There is no honor represented in hell. There's no integrity. There's no character. And listen very carefully, listeners. There's no law in hell. It is a lawless society. You're going to get what you want. You're going to have an entire existence of no rules, just as most of you young people want today. The absence of law is hell. That's like running and roaming the streets of this tiny little town and just rushing through the, the four-way stops until you get hit. It's hell. So those of you who struggle with the theology of hell, just know this. It's just the absence of the law in order. It's the absence of the character and presence of God. That's what hell is. We'll see what it looks like very soon. Favor provides intimacy. Before the fall, the Father communicated with man from the inside out. After the fall, the communication was broken, and man had no way of hearing God unless God spoke externally through an angel, a representative. All these stories you're reading about in the Old Testament, you think that God showed up personally when actually Jeremiah, for example, said, the Lord God just said this to me? You think God was sitting out there on a rock having this talk with him? Your theology is bad. God never leaves the chair. He will never vacate the throne of the universe. So he sends a representative called an angel. And he speaks directly through the angel. 
So when Jeremiah was talking about God, to all of a sudden you read his scriptures and he is talking as if he's God, it gets a little weird for us readers. When God begins to use a preacher teacher in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit begins to take control of their mind and their tongue, you better listen. Because it's the same way he did it back then is the same way he's doing it today. There's no difference because God won't leave his throne. Jesus had to be sent because God is not going to leave his throne. Satan gave it his best shot and tried to get him up from that throne and walk away and say, oh, you can have it. Yeah, you passive God. I don't serve a God who's like most of our fathers. And I pray you don't either. God is not passive. God will not leave his chair of authority. Nor should a father on earth. Nor did Jesus Christ. Since Jesus became the favor of God the Father, when he was placed into the believer, that favor became the greatest divine action of the Father. Since Jesus became the favor of God the Father, Jesus became the favor of his dad. He was the twinkle of God's eye. He was the apple of God's eye. He was the very existence of his Father. God literally restored the original Adam by becoming the new Adam. God himself became the new Adam. It says in 1 Corinthians 15.45, So also it is written, quote unquote, the first Adam, first man Adam, became a living soul, mind, will, and emotions. The last Adam became what? Soul and spirit. This is the greatest passage to use to explain trichotomy. You only have one third left and nobody argues with that third. And that third is the the body. Triune man is body, soul, and spirit. Dichotomists think the soul and the spirit are all mushed together. Trichotomous, body, soul, spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the body, soul, and spirit must be sanctified. We are a triune creation because God is triune. He's not dichotomous. Satan is a dichotomist. 602-292-2982. Satan is a dichotomist. He has no portion of him that can be redeemed and made new. He is a dichotomist going to burn in the pit of hell for eternity because of it. Oh, I know what the theological attacks are behind trichotomy and dichotomy of man. I get it. It's too bad most of you dichotomists don't. Here's why it's so important. The process of salvation. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Is anyone here that disagrees with that today? I know some of my Indian listeners would. But this is normally the normal accepted doctrines of Christianity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We say it at funerals. We say it at weddings. We say it at communions. All the sacraments. We make sure all three of these are brought in in some way. But to truly function like this? No, I don't know. I don't know too many believers that actually function like this. It's to be used like it's a tool out of a toolbox. Now here's our reality, guys. When God created what he did on this earth, he created a temple to house Adam and Eve. But he created that temple around his greatest enemy fully knowing this guy is going to stand up just like he did on that day he was cast out of heaven and his wings were to cover God and that old pinion pulling his pinions away from God 
It's like a young man being opinionated with his dad. It is an action of Satan. Opinion is an action of Satan. It's a pulling the opinions back of protecting your father's authority. If you're defiant with your father, you're suffering demonic doctrine. Plain and simple. So, Jesus coming, he had to make sure the temple was rebuilt for the second time. And it was. All the little gold-plated stuff and the external things of grace was all in place. He represented the veil. The veil was in place, 18 inches thick, just like the law required it. And, you know, the Ark of the Covenant was in there and all the little things they had to do to get to the presence of God. Everything was ready. Because God was going to ask his own son to go through one more little step. Son, I'm going to rip you like a piece of fabric. I'm going to rip you in two. In fact, you know, I'm going to turn you into sin. That's what I'm going to do. You know, in fact, you're going to think that I left you and forsook you and took off and left you alone like you were in the pit of hell. No, I think I'm going to send you down there for three days and pay the cost for all these wretched sinners you see. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. No, he didn't tell Jesus that. Jesus had to trust in his father, not pull his pinions back, but stay engaged into intimacy because he knew he was of the favor of his father. That's why grace is important. So then, a new temple was being created. The world's going to build a third temple, but the real third temple actually this new temple was us, his bride. So the Holy Spirit could be housed inside that temple to reveal the purpose of creation and creation to reveal the purpose of having the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Where does that put us eternally? There's a trinity you're staring at. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit put inside the bride of Christ. Where does that put us? In the Trinity. We're like the Queen. The reason why that we're seated at the right hand of the Father is because we're in Christ. Christ is in us. You guys, when, when we get to heaven, we're not spectators looking at the chair, the throne room of the living God. We're seated at the right side of it. You better believe God's never going to get up from that chair because it would dethrone Jesus because he is in Christ. Christ is in us. If he leaves the chair, it completely dethrones Christ. If Christ is dethroned, you're going to hell. I can't make the gospel any clearer than that. I can't make the triune of man any clearer than that. I can't make the triune of creation any clearer than that. The doctrines are simple, and if you've complicated them, you need to ask yourself a question. That's all. Why must I interpret what God says or I believe he means? Why don't you just drink from your cup, folks? He went through a lot of work function for you just simply to pick up the cup and drink it because the Lion of Judah said so. Don't ask him to analyze the number of different kinds of fruit in this cup. Don't ask him to give you the DNA results of his blood. Just drink from the cup to die daily. Pretty simple deal. We're almost done. God's investment is completely total. So as God is limitless, his action formed in us, in his son, grace, is inexhaustible. Jesus Christ is not able to be measured. It cannot be measured out of the parts of, of uh, quantities of blessings, virtues, fruits, etc. Grace, or Jesus, is not something that we can uh, have more or less of. Of course, you guys know my favorite song, right? More of Jesus. 
That's my favorite. We'll I hope the next time that any of our listeners find their tongue waggling to that song, that you remember one thing. He's not going to answer you. He's not going to give you more of him. Because he went through a lot of work to give you all of him. But maybe a song, if someone could really put that together, maybe Chris, if you're listening, or someone else who's a great musician is listening, maybe you could put a song together about me accepting all of who he is. Now that would be an appropriate song. So Grace Jesus is not something that we can have more or less of. Thus we find such excellent adjectives used by Paul to describe grace, like abundant grace. Romans 5, 15, 17, 20, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, 1 Timothy 1, 14. Or sufficient grace, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 9, 8. Surpassing richness of grace. If you put Jesus in those passages where the word grace is used, you have sufficient Jesus. Surpassing richness of Jesus. Well, I would end up asking a question, well, how can I get him then? Because I want that sufficiency. The infinite adequacy of God is expressed in Jesus or expressed in grace. Grace or Jesus is as complete as God himself and he expresses the quality of his own character, the law, through the fulfillment of the law through Christ Jesus. So God's very action is invested with the totality of his being. Everything he does, he does as everything he is, identity. Everything he is, is motivated in everything he does. Everything he does, he does as a creator, redeemer, savior, lord, sanctifier, etc. He is not putting on a different mass in order to accomplish any of these things. It is done in one single focus or one single goal, and that was sending his son, his life. God functions as himself to express the totality of his own being and character, law, in Christ, who is grace, and that through the expression of himself in his son through the manifestation of of course, of grace itself, and that's the life of the Holy Spirit. Here's our identity statement for today. Paul refers to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not to imply that there are two expressions of Jesus, or grace, that of God and that of himself. To avoid such suggestions, some have implied that they are two separate expressions, which turns grace into an action that Jesus demonstrates with the possibility of him actually being grace at the same time. The distinction of indwell Christian grace is the factual reality of the distinctiveness of Jesus being God and his Father's favor, the representation of God's favor, grace, all at the same time. So Jesus Christ is not just a medium, a channel, an instrument, or an agent of expression of God's mercy as grace. He is the vital function of God's mercy by personhood, someone that actually would listen to him and carry out what he asked him to do without saying, but dad, the next time you young person are but dad, consider that. You're a fruitless disciple, nor will you ever make a good disciple until you say, yes, Dad. That's the goal of parenting, is to prepare your children to say yes to the Lord within you. Why do you not hear the living God speaking in your mortal mind every day? As I get asked, that's why. You're a rebel. You're more interested in obeying your own voice. How can you have a clear conscience and sincere faith if you're listening to yourself? Why would he be foolish enough to try to speak to someone who's not going to obey anyway? Why is God silent in your life? You might ask yourself that question. Can you be told what to do? And I'm not afraid of fulfilling what I'm being told what to do because I immediately admit I'm a failure. So I'm going to have to lean on someone who's able to fulfill that requirement. 
That's Christ in me. There's our basic doctrines of today. So the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law, favor was granted to mankind, to those who become indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they do all the fulfilling in us. We simply are given the privilege to behold his identity. Again, there's a salvation prayer attached to our PDF. If you did not download that PDF, I would encourage you to do so. There's a prayer that's kind of written out just to give you a sample of what would probably be important to confess before God. There's always someone ready for salvation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I want to remind all of us of something. Someone is about to get saved somewhere. And we need to rejoice with them. And they need quality training with not some person, some guy who's got quality theology down, but by the theologian within them. The personhood of Jesus Christ in the cup. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.